0: Well, we're just a few messages from the end of our series going through John's Gospel, looking at passages where Jesus says, I am, and uses that to describe Himself. Today we're in, in John chapter 17 and verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The I am statement here is where I am. Doesn't sound like a lot to work on this morning, but it it really is quite rich. I hope you'll be blessed as I was this week. I was blown away by some of what I saw. Jesus and the disciples have left the upper room. We've seen them there the last few chapters and um, they've left the upper room. It's probably (laughs) late at night. They are on their way to the garden of Gethsemane. Most of us are not very acquainted with with the layout of Jerusalem and the topography and so just maybe this picture will help you get it. It's a topographical map and the the city of Jerusalem is there on your left, and the the uh, Mount of Olives to your right. The Kidron Valley in the middle, and the Garden of Gethsemane is across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem, there on the on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. and And um, they have left the upper room. They're headed to the Garden of Gethsemane, but they aren't there yet because they haven't crossed the Kidron Valley. That happens the first verse of chapter eighteen. And so they're somewhere in the city of Jerusalem, we don't know where, and so we don't know exactly where this happens. But as they've been going along, they've been talking, and here in chapter 17, Jesus begins our verse here, you'll notice, with the word Father. If we go back to the first verse of chapter 17, we'll find it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Jesus, in other words, He's praying. And this chapter 17 is all one long prayer of Jesus. It is often called Jesus' high priestly prayer because we know that Jesus is called in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 he's called our great high priest it says we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens jesus the son of god a few chapters over from that in the book of Hebrews chapter 7 it says that he jesus always lives to make intercession for us in other words if you wonder what is jesus doing right now We can say that the scripture tells us that Jesus is serving as our high priest, and He is praying for us. In this chapter, in this verse, chapter 17, verse 24, there are really three marvelous things, marvelous truths I want to call our attention to this morning. And the first one is that Jesus prays for us. Jesus is praying for you right now. As we come here and we read chapter 17, you might wonder, is chapter 17, this prayer of Jesus, is it all about Jesus or is it all about the disciples? Or is it right to take this prayer in chapter 17 and apply it to us? And the answer to that is found in verse 20. Verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, that is the eleven Disciples who are with them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you got that way. You became a believer in in Jesus Christ because really of two things, probably. One is you became a believer in Jesus Christ because of the testimony of the written word of God. And the written word of God is the testimony of the disciples, of these apostles. And so we have come to faith in Christ through the the testimony, the written word of these disciples. We have also come to faith possibly through the testimony of a person. Well, that person became a believer in Christ because somebody shared the gospel with them and somebody shared the gospel with them and it goes back to these eleven witnesses. And so it is through their word that you and I have become believers in Jesus Christ and so that includes us right here in in this prayer. Jesus looked down the, the annals of, of time. He looked down the hallways of history and He saw you and me in this moment as He's praying here this night, hours before the crucifixion. He's praying for you and He's praying for me. As I said, Hebrews tells us that He right now is praying for us continually, but He doesn't tell us what He prays for. This is unique in that for a moment the the curtain is is pulled back and we are able to go into where we can sit and listen at Jesus' feet and hear Him pray. And we see what it is and how it is that He prays for you and me as our great High Priest. I'm thankful that this is a church that prays. That you are people who, who... enjoy and are faithful in praying for one another we share prayer requests every week many of you write down prayer requests on on the little tab that we turn in and and uh, those are collected and we share those among one another and during the week you guys are calling in or emailing in saying would you please pray for me and we share that with others in the body and we pray together that's a good thing. We pray for things like illnesses. We pray about surgeries. We pray about jobs and lost jobs. And we pray about loss of a loved one or those who are, uh, who are close to, to the time of leaving this life, like our sister Lola, who, uh, perhaps very soon, the next day or so, possibly may go home. And that's really where she's been longing to go. We pray for those things. That is good for us to do. But our greatest needs are greater than those needs. There are requests that you and I tend to be reluctant to share. Relational issues, family problems, hidden hurts, failures, habitual sins. Things that we least want to share are often very important things for us to be praying about and they're good for us to address and good for us to pray for together. May I say our greatest needs are even less requested and yet more important than those. In this prayer, Jesus, our great high priest, if you go through and read, he prays about not about jobs and illnesses, not about our relational issues and hidden hurts and Jesus prays, you'll see, He prays, verse 15, to protect us from the evil one. He prays for us because we, He has sent us into a hostile world on a mission. You see, He prays for our sanctification, our holiness. we will see, He prays for our unity. Truth is that it is not the most common thing that we pray for our spiritual needs for our spiritual growth, for our spiritual strength, that we share our need and pray for one another, that we will have spiritual discipline, that we will be faithful and fruitful in our witness for Christ, that we will expand the kingdom of Christ. But those are the things that Jesus prays for here and they expose where our greatest needs really are. Perhaps there is some change in what we ought to be praying for most for one another but isn't it good news that even if we are if we fail to understand our greatest needs and we fail to be faithful in praying for our greatest needs isn't it great to know that there is someone who is always faithful and always praying for our greatest needs is that good news okay I've just seen if you're asleep yet I'll I'll keep working well, I could spend, we could spend a sermon or two or three on this prayer, but our focus this morning is one verse. Verse 24. We see in the first word, Father, that Jesus is praying and Jesus prayers, prays for us. That is a marvelous thing, but there's two more marvelous things to draw out from this verse. He says, Father. I desire that they also, whom You have given Me, may be with Me where I am. I want to zero in here on this phrase, where I am. That's our phrase for the morning. And where is Jesus? I thought about putting a little picture on there, you know, Waldo. Where's Waldo? Waldo. <laughs> That's the game where, you know, he's in the kids' books and there's a little picture of Waldo and you have to find him in the picture. He's always kind of hidden somewhere. Is this Jesus saying, where am I? You know, you gotta find Jesus here. Where are, that's not it. We look and we say, Jesus says, I want them to be where I am. Well, where's Jesus? He's in Jerusalem. We just said that. Who's with him? The eleven disciples. I pray that they will be with me where I am. Well, guess what? Prayer answered. Done. They're with Him right there in Jerusalem. Maybe that's not what He means. (laughs) Obviously not. Jesus is looking ahead with this statement. You may remember several weeks ago back in chapter 7, it was six months before this, October, the Feast of Booths. Jesus was in Jerusalem with the disciples and He spoke to the religious leaders and He said... I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And they were perplexed by what he was saying. But he's saying, I'm going to go to where? The one who sent me. And you can't come. These religious leaders, the unbelievers. Chapter later, and it was a day or two later, he says very similarly, he said to them again, I'm going away and you'll seek Me and you will die in your sins. And where I'm going, you cannot come. Where is He going? To be with the Father in heaven. And these unbelieving uh, religious leaders who rejected Him, He says, you will die in your sins, you cannot come. Earlier this evening, Jesus with the disciples in the upper room, John chapter 14 Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. To the disciples, he says as well, I'm going away. Where's he going? I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Where? In heaven. And I'm going to come and take you to be with Myself so you may be with Me. Where I am, you may be also. Unlike the religious leaders who rejected Him, Jesus was telling His disciples, I want you to be where I am. So where is Jesus? Jesus has gone to heaven. Here in this prayer with the disciples listening, Jesus says to the Father, you can see there in verse 13, Jesus says to the Father, but now I am coming to you. Is there any question where He's going? I'm going to you. And these things I speak in the world so that they, the disciples who are listening, may have My joy fulfilled in themselves. It's clear. Jesus is saying He's going To heaven. He's returning back to heaven. The cross is still before Him. It's in a few hours. Then He'll be in the tomb. Then the resurrection. It will be 40 days from now before He ascends to heaven. But when Jesus says, where I am, He's speaking as if He were already in heaven. But He's saying it while He's still here, He says, so that the disciples and us can be comforted and have joy. He wants them to know where He's going and He wants them to know why. Because the disciples still haven't got it. They still haven't understood that He's going to die. That He's going to be taken away from them. But He keeps telling them so that after it happens, they know. And that He knows He knew. And that He knows where He's going and He knows why. Why is Jesus going to heaven? Verse 14, he says it's because he is not of this world. Jesus doesn't belong here. Jesus came from heaven. Heaven is his home. He came to earth, but earth is not his home. He is returning back to the one who sent him. He's returning back to the Father. He's returning back to heaven. He's going to his home. He doesn't belong here would you look at me carefully with what he says in verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, notice, for they are not of this world any more than I am of the world. And look at verse 16, two verses later. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Jesus is returning to heaven because this isn't his home. But there's amazing something amazing here. This isn't our home either. We don't belong here anymore. Jesus speaking of His disciples, of His followers, you and me, says, as the old song goes, this world isn't our home. We're just passing through. As the Apostle Paul said to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. But until Jesus takes us home and we're waiting for Him to come back, as Paul writes there, to take us to heaven, but as we're waiting here, we are called, as Peter writes in First Peter chapter 2, he says that we are to live as aliens and strangers in this world. We're to live as people whose home isn't here. We're not to put our roots down deep and to think that this is where it's at and that this is where we belong. We're to realize we're citizens of heaven, live as citizens of heaven, look forward to heaven, but in the meantime recognize that He has left us here. And why has He left us here? Verse 18, He says to the Father, as you have sent Me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We don't belong here, but He has left us here on a mission. To go into the world as His witnesses as we saw last fall. So there's two great realities. Number one, Jesus prays for us. Great reality number two, Jesus went back to heaven because His home is in heaven, but so is ours. There's a third amazing reality in this verse. Jesus says, again going back, Father, I desire that they also whom You have given Me may be with Me where I am. This little word, I desire, is marvelous. And what we read here ought to rock our world because what Jesus has just said is that Jesus wants us to be with Him. I wonder, how many people really want to hang out with you and me? Now I get it. You've got 1,763 friends on Facebook. You've got 942 who follow you on Twitter. But how many of those people, when push comes to shove, really want to come and hang out with you and spend the day when you don't have anything big to offer like tickets to the Cardinals opening day ball game? Which I'm just saying, if you have some and you're looking for somebody to go along, I'm your guy. I'm free tonight. We can make this happen. <laughs> or, you know, you've got free pizza and a 96 inch ultra high definition TV. We can watch the opening game. Or whatever else you have to offer. If you don't have all that stuff to offer, how many people just want to come and hang out with you because you are such a wonderful person and they love you and care about you? That big long list of followers and friends just got smaller. And so of those ten people, I wonder how many of them you want to hang out with. (laughs) See? The reality is, if we could see that whole list of people who have you on speed dial, assuming there are some, probably very few of them are rich, famous, influential, beautiful, powerful, influential, attractive, whatever. The reality is, most of us just aren't that popular. And so it really ought to blow us away. Jesus, the Lord of glory, the King of creation, says, I want them to be with me. I want her to be with me. I want him to be with me. I want you to be with me. Who else says that? Not too many folks. And no one else like Jesus. That's amazing. But there's more. That's big news, but it gets bigger. See, when it says here that Jesus desires, that's not just a wishful thinking, a nice thought. The Greek word here is a little stronger than that. It means that He wills. It means that He purposes. It's interesting. Jesus says here that He says, I desire that they also, notice that next phrase, whom you have given Me. Jesus says that same thing up in verse 6. says it twice. You gave them to Me. He says it in verse 9. He says it again here. Four times in this prayer, Jesus says to the Father, You gave them to Me. See, here's the thing. God has purposed to save you and Me. It is God's will, His purpose to save us. And this is a statement of assurance. God the Father has desired to save you. Now, we, we know that the Bible says that we are to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to have faith in Him. We are to repent and turn to Him. There is action and faith and belief on our part. But then we go to the Scripture and we find that Paul writes to the Ephesians that God chose us before the foundations of the world. He has elected us. And my mind can't put all that together, but let me just say this. Jesus is saying... The Father has given us to Him. And what Jesus is saying, it is my purpose, it is my resolve, it is my will, it is my desire, that they be with me. He's not just wishing and thinking, He's saying, it's my plan, it's my purpose, it is what, I know that it has been your plan to give them to me. And I'm going to make sure that they're with me. And at the same time, it's a prayer asking for God to make sure that this happens. It's God the Father, God the Son agreeing, saying that this is God's purpose. And Jesus says this for assurance so that we can be sure of this, that God will complete what He started in us. As Paul wrote to the Philippians, I am sure of this, That He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's good news. God the Father and God the Son are moving to get you and me where we belong. Our home is in heaven and He's going to make sure we get there. (laughs) Because none of us are up to it. We can't save ourselves. We can't keep ourselves. We can't get us from here to there. It's all the work of God and it's such good news. And so that's good news. There's assurance, but it's more incredible than this. Because the question really comes down to me is, why in the world would Jesus want you with Him in heaven? And you're asking the question, I don't know, why would He want you With Him in heaven. Well, I can't answer all of it, but I can tell you what He says. And He gives an answer right here. Why does Jesus desire that we will be with Him in heaven? He says this, I desire that they also, whom You have given Me, may be with Me. Keep going. To see My glory That you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Why does Jesus want us in heaven? So we can see His glory. Now, why in the world is it such a big deal that Jesus wants us to see His glory? I can think of a bunch of answers to that question biblically matter of fact, I jotted down about a half dozen of them and then I realized I didn't have time to go over them this morning without going really, really long. So I scratched them and you'll be glad for that. We're just going to go to the one that's in the text. He says, I want them to see my glory. Why? There's one big reason and it's good. It's awesome. Maybe it'll even make you shout. That would be a big thing because you guys don't shout very often. John chapter 1, verse 18. Let me share this verse with you. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. By the way, is Jesus God? Yes, because it says it right here. Jesus is... No one has ever seen God. He's talking about God the Father. But the only God who is at the Father's side, that's Jesus, has made Him known. What he's saying is that, and this is very important, that one of the great purposes of God the Son is to make God the Father known. You recall earlier in John chapter 1 that Jesus is called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God. The same was in the beginning with God, and by Him everything was made that has been made, and the Word, go on down, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is called a Word. What's important about a Word? Well, a Word is how we express something that you could not otherwise know. You see, you can't know my thoughts. If you did, you'd know if it's mostly empty. You can't read my thoughts, but I use words. What do words do? They express my thoughts so you can hear hear and understand my thoughts. That's what Jesus says the Word of God is. He is the expression of God that we could not know. We could see Him, touch Him, hear Him, observe Him, and know Him whom we could not know. The invisible God whom no one can see but God the Son has made him known one of the great functions of Jesus the Son of God the Word of God is he reveals God to us so we can know him now back to our passage John chapter 17 down to verse 26 and this is beautiful here's Jesus saying as he's praying to the father I made known to them Your name and I will continue to make it known so that the love with which You have loved Me may be in them and I in them. Jesus is saying, Father, I've done the mission to make You known to them. I've made Your name known to them and I'm going to continue to make You known to them. I take that not only continue right now but continue throughout eternity we are going to continue to understand the father through the son now notice what else he says why is it so important that we see the glory of Jesus Christ because it's when we see the glory of Jesus Christ face to face in heaven when we see the glory that Jesus says that you have bestowed and heaped upon Him from the beginning, because of your love for the Son, notice, He's going to make known to us, then, the love, verse 26, with which you have loved Me. See, as we see the glory of Christ, we will begin, and only when we get to heaven and for the first time we will begin to see and comprehend and understand the amazing love of the Father for the Son and we'll understand it as we see the glory of the Son which the Father has dumped upon Him because of His love. And as we understand the love of God, of the Father for God the Son, notice what happens next so that that love with which You have loved Me may be in them. You see, not only will we begin to understand the love of the Father for the Son, we will for the first time really begin to experience that love in ways we can not not even imagine as we are enveloped in it and as we share in the immensity, and as we share in the intensity, and as we share in the intimacy of the love of the Father for the Son. Because that love of the Father for the Son will be shared with us. We will be wrapped up in that great big bear hug, as it were, of love in the Godhead. You see, we often think that when we get to heaven, that what we're really gonna, we're just gonna be so pumped about is that we're going to be reunited with our loved ones. Parents we've lost, children we've lost, a spouse we've lost, friends we've lost. And we get to heaven, we're gonna be so excited because there's gonna be a great joyful reunion. And may I say, I believe there is gonna be a great joyful reunion. I think that's scriptural. But make no mistake. That is not the great joy of heaven. It is not what will consume us and what will enthrall us when we get to heaven. Because the very best of human love, the most tender kiss of a mother, the biggest hug of a grandbaby of their papa, (laughs) those are big, by the way, or the warmest embrace of lovers, all of those are but shadows of the greatest love that we will know. There will be innumerable joys and blessings and wonders in heaven, but the essential joy of heaven will be this marvelous, deep, and everlasting love relationship that we will enjoy with God. That's why the Apostle Paul, speaking about the marriage relationship, says this. He says, this mystery is profound, but I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The love between a husband and wife is just something that is a reflection, a glimmer that helps us understand the love that Jesus has for us. It's why Jesus earlier in this prayer defines heaven. He defines eternal life in this way. Maybe you've never thought of it this way before. I never did. And this is eternal life that they may know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. He's saying that's the essence of heaven. It's not the pearly gates and the streets of gold. It's not riches and eternal, it's not it's not mansions, it's not our loved ones. The essence of heaven is Jesus. It's the intimate love that we're going to enjoy. God's love for us is so great we simply can't fathom it now. But when we see Jesus, we see we're gonna be smitten, we're gonna be captivated. Everything else is going to fade and pale in comparison to the love we will know that will be realized in Jesus. The old evangelist D.L. Moody, most of you know that name, he tried to make the point this way. He said, when I get to heaven, I just want to sit with Jesus for a thousand years. And only then will I ask, hey, where's Paul? Paul? His point was, being with Jesus is going to be the only thing that matters. That's what Jesus is praying for in this prayer. I want you with me because I love you so much. Isn't that awesome? The great question is, will you be there Do you know if you're headed for heaven? There's only one way. Jesus said in John 14, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. He says, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Trust in Jesus. Believe in Him as your Savior today. And you'll know you'll be there. And Jesus wants you there. He wants you with Him forever. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your great, amazing love for us. Forgive us, Lord, for sometimes thinking so little, so seldom of it for failing to understand just how great Your love, that You loved us so much that You sent Jesus. You, God, became man in order to take upon You our sin and to die in our place. He did all that because You want us with You. So forgive us for so often treasuring so much stuff that is of no value. Things that are useless, loving our own way and our own desires. Oh, love instill in, Lord, instill in us today a great understanding of Your love and as well a deepening love for You. Lord, help us to love You in return. And if there is someone here this morning who has never placed their trust in Jesus, may they understand Your love. May they understand their need for a Savior. And may they believe in Jesus. We ask these things in the name of the One who loved us so. Amen.